Tonight we have he had a, he he was pre-COVID. His roots were being a DJ, and it made him the life of parties and gatherings everywhere. He's also managing partner and creator of Kasi Eden for the Kasi Eden nightclub. Please give it up to my buddy Paul Flannery, aka DJ Sweepy. Woo! Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> Paul, what's going on, man? Hey, hi, hi, everybody! Thanks for being here on the show. I don't know bud. anybody here. Just kidding. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> Paul. You and I, we had some great discussions in the past about your your business, and we've done this at Eden um, since a while back ago. We've talked about how we could geek out about what you do and DJing, what it's like to run a business during COVID. Um, but things have dramatically shifted all of a sudden since we've talked about this. I'll say. Absolutely. Huge. Uh, you just recently lost your place of business. Tell me a little bit about what happened. We don't know yet. Um, I was there when it happened, so I can assure you that it wasn't, you know, premeditated. Because um, <laughs> we did get those messages, by the way. Like, people were already commenting, thinking that it was, you know, uh, not, not legit. Um, I was there. You know, we were prepping for, for the evening, getting a lot of stuff ready, and, and we were just getting out of our lunch break. So we had, you know, guests and, and customers that were there that were finishing up lunch. And I was sitting at the bar, and the lights over the bar just went out. Went out. So I thought nothing of it. I'm like, well, maybe a breaker went out or something. And about five minutes later, we started seeing smoke, and then I hear our GM come out and say, hey, everybody get out, you know, blah, blah, blah. So everybody runs out. And we look up on top of the roof, and it's already engulfed. There's already flames. So and you had already customers in the, we, in the, in the restaurant, right? Well, we had customers on the, on the patio, on the outdoor patio. So we evacuated everybody out, and uh, it, it took pretty quick. I mean, it was really, really fast. What would you say how long period of time was it from the minute you found out versus exiting? Between all that, that you looked back and you said, my place is completely on fire. Minutes. A minute. Just a minute. A minute. It was at it was at. That's yeah. insane. That fast. That fast. And where were you when this happened? I was in the bar, and then I grabbed what I could, and we ran out. And um, it, there, there was really nothing we could do because it happened so quickly. I mean, one of our, one of our bus boys grabbed a grabbed a hose and tried to put it out that way, and just couldn't reach the fire. And it was just, you know, people were frantic and trying, you know, going crazy. But we just couldn't. The, the problem was it was so high above the roof we couldn't reach it. We couldn't do anything to. So all we had to do was just sit there and watch it burn while we're waiting for you know, help to arrive. So uh, the police department showed up shortly after. I would say probably, I got there pretty quick. I, I would say about six minutes, seven minutes in. But for a fire burning, that's like an eternity, you know. So shortly after that, uh, the fire department showed up, and then they, they do what they do, you know. So right now it's undetermined. We don't know exactly what happened. Um, I don't believe it was a kitchen fire. The reason why I don't think it was a kitchen fire is because the guys weren't cooking at the time. You know, they were prepping for, for dinner. They had already finished what they were doing. 
um so we think it might be electrical we're not sure you know i can't speculate on it i don't, I don't know i'm not the you know investigator but i'm, I'm kind of guessing that would that's what it would have been and all this happened at the worst possible timing you of you course, have yeah. everything was happening with the pandemic which you know right now to even do this we have to be socially distanced and safe you were doing that with eden successfully every time i've been there it, measures were being taken up you, you were doing everything you had to but it was already a struggle because of everything that was happening then this what was it like already before this as far as you know what you had to go through to keep eden going i mean it, you know like with all businesses every week there was something new we all know that you know see whether it be cdc health department whoever they would come and they would implement these new uh guidelines that we would have to uh introduce not only to what we you know our own operations but we have to introduce it to the customers that don't even know you know so there was the issue was that one week we would say one thing to customers and then the following week they would hear something completely different you know and and that was the rough part because how do you how do you continue a momentum and a relationship with your guests in a way that you need to operate when things are changing constantly you know so the cool thing about it the, the cool thing that i can say that i'm happy about is the staff that we had um an awesome staff that we had uh they were able to explain it well you know and that's part of it is being able to explain it well letting people know and to be honest with you we you know we tugged on the heart cards a little bit you know that that you know it's the pandemic don't that's, give away your secret that's the, i mean that's what everybody's doing you know so you, you you know when you mention that to people and you say that we're doing what we're doing because of that scenario they're not going to give you any flack over it. They understand, you know. So the cool thing that I can say is when we did that, it didn't stop business. You know, if anything, because we were transparent about it and open and we let people know what was going on, um, they respected us more for it, you know, because they knew that we were doing what we were doing for them in order for us to have the business that we had. So by doing that, I think it just started to grow. I think within the first weeks that, that we started doing what we were doing, I mean, we're hitting capacity right after three weeks of starting. So when did you start Eden, by the way? Ooh, there's a story. Um, so we started the concept of Eden in 2019. That's when we started it. And basically what it was is I would say around summertime to that 2019, I approached the owners, which uh, Carlos, the owner here at Adobe Cantina, was gracious enough to open up the door to me. And we sat down and we talked. We've known each other for a number of years, but we've never worked together. We've known each other respectfully for our positions, but we've never worked together. But we've always, we've always had a good conversation. You know, we've always had good conversations. We've always talked. We, you know, we've had a good uh, rapport. So I went to him and I said, look, originally, moons ago, when that place was Padres, for all you guys over 45, I think, 40, um, <laughs> 43, <laughs> there's some young people raising their hands. There's no way they got in legally. Um, but uh, so, you know, I have a history with the venue. I know the venue pretty well from working with the old owners from before. So I approached them on an idea and I basically said, you have the restaurant, which is Mexico Grill, and you have the bar side of it, which is your tequila lounge, quote unquote. And I said, why don't we just create a whole new concept just for the bar lounge area and, and basically divide it into two separate businesses. So I went to him with the idea and it was basically what you call a fictitious name that we were planning on turning into a DBA sooner or later. But we wanted to sh you know, have a proof of concept first. So that's what we did. So that was, like I said, mid-2019. And then him and I jumped on another project that put it on pause for probably about five or six months. 
And then after that project didn't, you know, work out for us, we went back in in December of 2019 and then revisited this whole idea again. And when we did it, I basically told him, I said, look, I need X amount of dollars from you so we can, de- we can decorate the place. And what we did was, if you guys have all been, we made it look like a Garden of Eden type feel. That was the feel for it. Um, so me and a couple of buddies, we took a couple thousand dollars that he gave us, went downtown, bought some, some cool stuff. He did all the work for it, decorated it, put a lot of work into it, um, and it came out great. So leading into 2020, January 1st, we're set. We're like, okay, cool. We got everything together. So I started making phone calls to my connections that I know throughout the area, letting them know what we were planning on, on doing. And we put together this nightly schedule that was, we were going to have something happening every single night of the week. And one particular thing that I was kind of bummed, really bummed about, now that, now that we're talking about it, is I have some affiliates with Guitar, Guitar Center Corporate. And um, we partnered up with them. They were going to come on board with us. We had a live entertainment program scheduled with them that they were going to come on board and supply and help and promote and sponsor and everything. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. You know, So moving forward, throughout the whole month of January and the whole month of February, we're pushing this promotion. We're letting people know we're open, but here's what's coming. We're open, but here's what's coming. So the official launch of everything that we had put on a schedule was supposed to happen the first week of March. And we all know what happened then. Right then is when it all started being the shutdown. The yeah. COVID so came in and said, hold my beer. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you've been a DJ for a long time and being then a business owner, essentially now you're a full-time businessman on both ends of the thing. So you can do both. Um, explain to me the alchemy of how those two things can blend together. How, how did you do both? Like, how did, that, how did that work for you? Well, for me, I think for me it worked because... I was, I was always very interested in the business side of things behind the scenes. Being a DJ as long as I've been, I've always been the frontline guy. I've been the spotlight guy. So, you know, with my career that I had out here, with the career that I had in Hollywood, the career I had in Vegas, coming back here, there was this huge, you know, uh, image that I created as a DJ, but not a lot of people knew that I was actually sitting behind the scenes with owners and talking to them about what we could do to change things. And in doing so, I was taught a lot. So I was, I was taught what, you know, what, what a PC is, what your poor costs for your, for your bar, why, why things are the way they are, why this costs that, why we need to pay this, blah, 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 blah. You know, operations, <coughs> I've always been a, you know, I've always loved hospitality. So being, being a host DJ promoter for the events that I've done it just came naturally that once I started getting to the operation sides I would concentrate a lot on the hospitality part part of it. So um, For me it went hand in hand. There's not a lot of DJs. I would think that that know that there's a very small community of DJs that I know that have gone out there and and have either opened up a club or gotten involved more with the promotion side, but um, It's not I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's not easy because you have, to t- you have to have that balance between the two where you have to allow the business to have its own identity as well, even though you have one. So you got to put yourself on the back burner for a little bit when you're trying to work with these businesses. Because a lot of times they'll bring you on because, hey, it's sweepy. We're going to book you and we're going to do this and X, Y, Z. And next thing you know, you're looking at the business and the business might suffer, but my image looks great. Right. But that for me, that doesn't work. I don't want my image to look great and a business suffer. I want us to you know, run parallel. So. And, I mean, like the two of us, we're very much like you, very driven with what we do. Um, how do you 
how do you stay focused during this time pre pre fire? <laughs> how do you stay focused trekking through? Because it's easy to be very alcohol very distracted and, and <laughs> alcohol and drugs. A lot of drugs. A lot of alcohol. Not that, that we encourage any of that. Way. I'm just kidding. But well, as long as you maintain a positive view, like how did you how did you keep up with um, being positive? You know what? I mean, okay, I'm gonna date myself for everybody here. Okay, I don't like doing this, but I'll date myself. So. I've been what you call a professional DJ for about 33 years. Okay, so, so I was very young when I started. I got, a, I got a great opportunity to play at a nightclub out here, as a matter of fact, in Thousand Oaks. Years, 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 many, many moons ago. How many of you guys know where, uh, where Chuck E. Cheese is at? Okay. Where Chuck E. Cheese was. What was, was actually. Wait, it's no longer there. So, so if you're they went out of business. <laughs> yeah, they... Ouch. <laughs> There he is. So back in the, <laughs> yeah. So back in the day, that old Chuck E. Cheese used to be one of the hottest nightclubs out here, the hottest nightclub, and there was a chain of them. But Thousand Oaks was like one of the biggest ones. So I used to go there as a teenager, and uh, I got an opportunity to play. They found out I was a DJ. You know, long story short, I you know I made friends with the people that were there, made the connections, and I got in. Um, as soon as I felt that energy of being in front of an audience that's what I wanted I was addicted I didn't want anything else so fast forward now somewhat three decades you know the focus for me to answer your question is that I love music I love entertaining people and I think the biggest part about being being able to stay relevant mind you for three decades is relevancy keeping yourself relevant in this regard music is constantly changing fashion is constantly changing so you as an entertainer, if that's what your main forte is, you should be constantly changing with it. You know? So it's kind of like a bartender. Bartender, they know how to make all the average drinks. They know what, what, what they need to do with their tequilas, their vodkas, and everything else, right? But oh, every so often, this new tequila will pop up. This new vodka will come up. They got to figure out how they can make drinks with all these new things. DJs, the same thing. All this new music show up. How can I mix that into the formats that I'm already used to? So it's kind, of a, it's kind of a parallel universe between a bartender and a DJ when it comes to alcohol. And that's why I've been able to stay in this business is I, is I don't settle. I don't sleep either. But, that, you know, that's a whole other thing. Well, speaking more of you being a DJ and how you got started, do you remember who you were, your, uh, your influences were? Like your first record bot, let's say. The very first record by the way, for all you kids out there. Important. <laughs> Back in vinyl days. Um, I still buy vinyl. Yeah, I, I remember I remember being, a, again, being a teenager, and my mom took me record shopping. She took me to L.A. to some popular uh, stores that were out there, and I, I want to say that the very first record that I bought, or that she bought for me, was Boys in the Hood, Easy. Nice. Yeah. Word up. That Great was answer. that was one, and I, I I still have the original vinyl, the original cover. But that was probably there was a, there was probably I would say six or seven records that, were, that, that I can't remember all of them, but I I distinctively remember that that was one of the first ones that I got. So what well, what's it like when you're hired as a DJ? What what's involved when it comes to hiring you versus just some Joe Schmo down the street? What makes you what what obviously you have to bring new music. But what is it that you can make yourself stand out versus the other guy? To be quite honest with you, people, honestly. I think that 
if it wasn't for for the audiences I've played for and the and the opportunities that I've taken advantage of by being able to play in that in front of that many people, because I'll be honest with you, you could be the best DJ in the world, but if if the crowd that you're in front of doesn't like you, it's very hard for you to to create any kind of a image, you know. So you would say you play off the crowd when you're DJing. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and that comes that comes from the beginning stages where. I had a few mentors. I had a few people that were teaching me the ropes and whatnot. So it was kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I've said this. I've said this every time I've got into a conversation about music and entertaining a crowd. I've always said this. And I think that everybody here will agree. You take any genre. Okay. You take hip hop. You take rock. You take disco. You take um, anything. Any, any, any genre. Country music. Anything. Right. If you're a DJ and you're playing the hits in that song and you're mixing them well. The chorus lines in those popular songs that everybody knows, they're going to scream and the energy is exactly the same in every genre. Think about it. Everybody gets crazy when they hear their track. Is it, is it possible at all that they would get crazy if they weren't under the influence of anything at a nightclub? If it they helps. weren't drinking? No, it helps. It, oh, I mean, it like, helps. I'm For saying sure. if, they, if they were For not sure. under the influence, like, would sure. that even register in your experience? Hey, I mean, the, there's, a, there's a lot of variables, number one. But absolutely, but I, but I mean, I'm not I'm not a heavy drinker, but I would think that for the people that that out there casually drinking when they go out and they you know whatever, they do that purposely for the buzz and the high where they're going to get more energy out of what the experience is that they're feeling right. So if they're getting a bigger experience or more intense spirit, uh, uh, experience when they're high lit whatever you know, um, they're going to remember it, and you for it. So that's kind of that's kind of what DJs, I believe, unfortunately, nowadays forget about. They forget about the crowd. They forget about the people. They forget about what you're there for, you know, and I know tons of DJs and I can tell you there's a small percentage that get that, you know, you might get an opportunity to play your local spot or your local places. But I've always said this. If you if you've got the opportunity to play at a club, bar, pub or whatever, and the place is already busy, they just hired you to come and DJ. What have you done? You're just a stand-in for what they need. Now, if you've taken that, that crowd from 150 people to 350 people because you were there and you contributed to it, then that makes, that makes all the difference, right? But there's a lot of guys out there that don't understand that. But that also comes from sitting down with an owner, understanding what their goals are, what they want, and you know what goes on. You and I were talking about something regarding uh, favorite DJs. Yeah, so I, I wanted, I told Damien that I wanted to ask you this. Uh, we were speaking on your influences a bit earlier, but I really wanted to know, like, who were your, let's say, three favorite DJs when you got into this? Or even now? Um, um, let's see. At that time, as a kid, when you first start DJing, the first thing you want to do is you want to scratch and mix and just go crazy. That's the first thing. Whether you're good or not, you're going to try it. Well, it takes right? a whole year, if I remember correctly. I mean, I mean, everybody does it. Everybody does it. There's naturals. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, when I first started, you know, I picked it up pretty quickly. You know, for some reason, it just it just hit me naturally, some of the stuff that I was doing. And over time, you know, it, it, it got better. Um, but to answer your question, there's two DJs specifically at that particular time that had everything from and, and mind you there was no social media back then okay so in order for a dj to have a reputation back then 
you had to you had to be good you had to know what people were doing so you're talking like it was all underground 100 well not necessarily underground but even but even in the commercial scene you would have to look at let's look at the late 90s to the mid 2000s right if you were a known dj and you knew what were going on by courtney um and you knew and you knew (laughs) and you knew what was what was going on i think that uh you could figure out the city or state and then you would know what dj was kicking ass out there right that's just how it was we all knew like we knew who this person was we knew who that person was so for me there was an east coast dj and there was a west coast dj that kind of that kind of molded me into what i do right so first off the west coast dj was dj joe cooley joe cooley was was part of um um joe cooley which is which is if you're a hip-hop head from back in the day you'll know who i'm talking about but the way that he used to scratch I was hypnotized by it. The way that he could transform and scratch and mix and do everything and beat juggle, I was hypnotized by it. So from a technical standpoint, it was him. Um, and then along came other, other big names from, from you know, the West Coast behind that. But the East Coast DJ, I would have to say, is DJ Kid Capri, who's been around for decades. And what made him so unique was he, take this, he took the same concept of two turntables, which he still plays to today, and with his mixing ability and scratching and playing around he incorporated the microphone technique which is rocking the crowd put your hands up hey you know and stop the record and get everybody riled up and then play up. A record. hyping people up so i took a combination of both of those and developed my own style that way and you know a lot of people do it a lot of people you know incorporate the microphone and try to be a hype person but i was telling you this earlier when we talked about this it takes a certain talent to be able to rock a microphone because otherwise you're hearing, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. you know, it gets a little crazy. And most people know that when you go to a club and you hear a DJ talking on the microphone and they don't know how to, you know, hold it or they don't know how to talk. Like it's just there's too much feedback and too much stuff going on. So it takes time to be able to really understand how to use that. So what I did was I took that and then I would tease the crowd. I play around with them. You know, one of the biggest things I used to do, especially when I used to play vinyl, was anytime a record skipped back in the day, you hear the ooh, ah, oh, like, <laughs> like you just screwed up. You know what I mean? But I would, I would flip it around on everybody, and I would stop the record and I get on the microphone and I would tell everybody, "Hey guys, this ain't no pre-recorded shit. Like, relax. This is live. This ain't you know." And then people would, you know, have fun with it or whatever. And then you know, we go on. So those two DJs are the ones that that really got to me and and basically catapulted me into into the scene and then over time i mean i've taken a little bit from everybody i mean i I think i think in order to be a proper entertainer and even to be a proper host or even a business owner for that matter is that you know you still need to have be humble enough to be inspired by things that other people do you know what i mean there's a lot of business owners a lot of djs out there they think they know everything they don't you know i don't think i know everything i love learning i had an argument with somebody this guy comes to me and says you think you know everything i said I don't know everything. I just know more than you. <laughs> There's a difference. The big difference, you know. Well, you you spoke a little bit about scratching, uh, with the technical side of it. But yeah, <laughs> scratching your shoulder. Uh, what I want to ask is, I've heard from other DJs, Z Trip and newer DJs like that. Z Trip's amazing. Z-trip. That's yeah. yeah. He's my boyfriend's favorite, so I know who Absolutely. he is very well. Um, but he he says that it took him a year to learn how to scratch like he does. And I've heard from other DJs that it takes about a year. How long do you think you it took you until you felt comfortable really going at it? Hours. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm wow. Kidding. No, no, I, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever heard that. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what the average time would be for somebody to learn the basics. I mean, just like everything else, scratching has evolved as well. You know, the way people used to scratch back in the day, the technical attributes of how you did it with the equipment that was in front of you, it's changed. You know, there's a lot more to it now. I can tell you now that, you know, that there's, there's more advanced techniques now than ever before. And there's some that I can't even touch. Like it's, it's way out of my, my, uh, well, there's also a lot of systems that make it a lot easier. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's a whole, that's a whole big subject too. Well, I kind of want to know that. That's a but whole let big me, subject. Let me ask you. So yeah. you have new equipment versus OG and, and we're going back nineties, let's say. So it's, it's drastically different. I know that now I'm not even anywhere near a DJ, but I just know that equipment has changed. What do you think of it as far as what it is now versus what it was before? Better, worse? Do you have favorites in equipment, brand I, that you like? I'll keep it simple. I love evolution. I love things to, to, to make it easier or better or whatever. I really love it that way because you're coming from a guy that was totally analog at the time. You know, so a lot of the stuff that we were doing back then, a lot more difficult, to be honest with you, because of the equipment that we had in front of us. So there's older DJs that will look at this newer equipment like, if I had this back then... Are you kidding me? Like how, how easy it would be. So I think there's, there's, two, there's two ways to look at, the, at it that's very important. Number one is who are you trying to impress with the equipment? That's the number one question you have to ask yourself. When it comes to another DJ, of course, the ego steps in and I got the best equipment and I got this. And then there's always that argument between, you know, who plays on a digital this, who plays on that or whatever, right? So the way I look at it, I'm not trying to impress them. Unless the guy's getting me a gig, I can, I, I'll do that. But I've, I've never wanted to impress other DJs my whole career. That's not what I do. My thing is to... You're about the people. About the people, okay. right? Now, let me ask you this. Do you think the people care what I'm playing on? No, they just they want to see you have a they good just, time and they play want, that they music. Want to, exactly. They want to have a good time. They want you to play the, play the hits. Don't, don't, you know, don't train wreck <laughs> while you're doing it. You know, that's what they want. So... You know, we, I, I see a lot on, on especially on Facebook, I see, you know, there was a time where that's all DJs were talking about. There was this comparison back and forth and, you know, real DJs do this and re real DJs do that as far as equipment's concerned. But in my opinion, real DJs entertain your crowd, period. That's, that's what it's about, you know. So you have to put that ego aside. Don't get me wrong. All DJs, all DJs are egotistical. That's not even a question. They all are. Well, it's, a, it's a selfish industry. It's one of those industries that it's all about you at that particular time, which I understand. But you also have to look at it from the longer, you know, the longevity of it, of being able to rock crowds, develop relationships and do all that stuff, you know. And, and a lot of times people forget about that, especially especially DJs that haven't been able to get to that point, And then they get to that point and they have no clue what to do with it, you know. Well, speaking more on that note when you specifically when you got to that point or even before what you know what when did you really know that you wanted to be a dj what was that moment for you oh very early on i was the first time i saw turntables and i saw a dj play i was probably 12 or 13 years old first time i saw it and immediately that's what i wanted to do that was just the moment you that's knew it. that's it i i i wasn't i wasn't really big on toys you know, or action figures or anything like that. I really wasn't big on it. My brothers were. It was My always music for It you. was always music. Always yeah, music. but I, I dare say I want to reach out here, and I think what it is is that you're about the people. Totally. So at that point, you saw everyone happy. You want to make people happy. 
Well, like that's uh, well, what appealed here, to you too, right? Absolutely. Here, here's I'll give you a perfect example. When when I got my first gig, I was 14 years old. When I got my first gig, wow, DJ that's in early. DJ in a house party. Four years old, four, 14 years old, and it happened to be one of my younger brothers friends that was having the birthday party and they hired me to do the party i can't remember how much money i made off of that it was probably nothing but at that time it was something right so i dj this party and you know at a house party you're seeing the energy of the crowd again you know so at that point that's what i really focused on was just entertaining and just doing it from that perspective and um as i got older with it i would still do these house parties and the, you know by the time i got into clubs it was a whole different story but I think what centered me into what, I, what into that zone was that that's what I wanted to do. That's where I wanted to be. So even at these house parties, I, was, I wasn't drinking, wasn't smoking, wasn't doing anything. I'm seeing all my friends do it and, go, and wilding out. But I was more focused on, you know, making sure that I'm playing the right music and getting people hyped up. You know, I don't think I took a, I'm going to be honest with you, I, didn't, I don't think I took a sip of alcohol, serious sip of alcohol, till my late 20s, something like that. Well, I'm just curious. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off before you even start. <laughs> Speaking on what he asked you before about equipment, playing a party at 14, what were you using? I played on a, on, on a very small mixer. I played on a single turntable, a, si a single turntable, right? And I played on a single cassette player. So I had, I had just a, a library of all these cassettes and I would have to cue them up to the right spot so I knew where the songs were. And I, and I, it, believe me, it was very tricky. But and, and I'll be honest with you, it wasn't even close to being you know a real mixing DJ or technical DJ with that with that music. But that's what th those are my first two things. I mean, obviously, it fed you to keep going though. Right? Totally. At that point, you just totally. Sure. I think I think 15, 16 years old. I think um, my cousin um, ended up purchasing some some hand-me-down turntables from from other djs that have upgraded and whatnot and these those particular turntables were they had probably like three or four owners prior to me right so they ended up buying them for me i think it was a christmas present or a birthday present they got them for me and then i ran Good those present. Things, i ran those things into the ground oh jesus like so when it came to doing djing and going to parties i'm sure you got hired a lot of places uh did it take you different cities, different countries even? I mean, w tell me some stories as to what that was like for you doing this kind of work. What did you see? What would you do? I mean, the, the initial part of it, it started in Thousand Oaks. It started here. Um, and from there, anything with a heartbeat, I would say, within the Ventura counties and Santa Barbara areas, it, it started to elevate between all of that, and I stayed local. I did a couple of a couple of spots on the radio stations, and did some mix shows with them, and did some stuff like that too. Um, but it w it's going to sound crazy when I say this because you know I like to think I'm confident at what I'm doing, but at that particular time I wasn't as confident with my talent. And what that means is I used to get up, I used to get offers to come and do stuff like in the Valley in L.A., especially L.A. Hollywood, and I felt like I wasn't good enough to play. Honestly, I felt like that's the mecca of entertainment. Like, how am I going to even compete with that, right? So I stayed within my bubble and I stayed within my area and developed a, a pretty good following and developed a pretty good uh, uh, audience for what I did, you know? And it worked out. I mean, it, and then I think it was 99, 2000 when I got, I got the phone call that changed everything. You know, ex-girlfriend of mine calls me up, says she's working for this promoter in LA. They, they have this gig for me. I took the gig and the rest is history. And I spent... I spent 12 years in L.A., 
12 years in LA Hollywood playing just about every hot spot at that time. You mentioned that you also DJed in Vegas a bit. Yeah, so so we I did Vegas out of a whim. Um, a, a buddy of mine that I used to work with back in the day uh, called me up and said this particular venue was making some changes. Now, I, at that particular time, I had already made the transition from not only being a DJ, but also being a promoter. So it was the foundation room at the Mandalay Bay, and they were looking to make some changes. So I ended up working out my own deal with these guys, and I went out there, and I, I basically signed a contract with these guys to run the operations for their nightly entertainment stuff book the djs sub promoters all that stuff and uh that opened up other avenues for us to work with other venues while i was there so that lasted there's a three-month contract that they extended to five months i think or something like that and then outside of that there were all these little gigs that kind of happened and when you did all that you obviously realized you had something really big and therefore you kept going with it you decided to do eden and did that further your career when you when you're at eden did you, did you dj at eden yourself so so with with eden's with with eden's concept i don't believe we got a fair opportunity to show what we were planning on doing with the venue and and part of that is because of the pandemic you know and it, it, it hurt everybody so there were a lot that was going on with the venue that we were going to introduce that to be honest with you, it was probably going to change the game in this area. Honestly, there was a lot that we were, that we had planned, and those secrets are on the shelf. You know, we put them on the shelf, and we're waiting for the for that next opportunity. Um, so I don't think we really got the opportunity to 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 show what what we really wanted to do with Eden. So it, you know, it's kind of a bummer because, you know, that we put a lot of work into it. You know, um, we got a lot of buzz, a huge amount of buzz. You know, a lot of people were gravitating to, to the concept of what we were doing. Um, I think that the, the, the thing that I'm, I'm most proud of what we did with Eden is we kept it simple. You know, we kept it very simple. And we took your, your, your club, pub, restaurant, high-end energy nightclub, and we combined it all in one entity where, for me now, I want to I do places where people can feel comfortable, honestly. I want, I want them to come out and have fun and, you know, spend money with us and remember what we're doing and, you know. That's that it's important to you know create those relationships and you've done really good at that and we're really happy that you've had Eden we support you um, w anything anything we can do as a community we're doing it right now making a geek is hashtag save your local businesses you're no different Paul Ventura County LA County everyone's feeling it right now and especially what happened with you we all feel it as a community uh, we're there to support you give it up for DJ sweepy thank you thank you thank you so much Paul we, uh, we have reached the part of the show, folks, where we turn it over to you, the audience. If anybody wants to comment to, to Paul or to us even, we have nothing interesting to say. Um, we, really we'll nothing. give you a nice little drink Don't ticket. Don't test us. Yeah. <laughs> but if not, we can move on. But we just want to open up to anybody if anybody had a question. Questions. Hold on. We'll get you a microphone. Check, check, check. We, we try to do the sophisticated. Where's, where's Malik? Malik. What was your favorite bar, club, any uh, venue or anything that you played? What was your favorite? My favorite club. Wow, that's a good question. Um, God, that, that's a really good question. Do you know what's crazy? I've always thought what I would say when somebody asked me that question and you'd put me on the spot. Because there's been so many over, over 
the span that I've been in this business, and and you would have to think about the time frame of that that particular era versus what was going on at that time, right? Last five years, I, I would say bogeys. I would say bogeys. I ran bogeys for eight years. You know, I was I was there. F- Thank you so much. You know, I, I and you know, I, I got the opportunity to play bo- to to, and I believe me, I I worked my ass off to get into bogeys. You know, we, when we originally approached them, we submitted a proposal to do some stuff with them, and they 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 blindsided us. Like they just looked at me like I didn't know what the hell we were doing. So, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Just but for the recording, the question was, where was your favorite venue to play? Yeah, so, I mean, overall favorite venue, I would probably have to say the Highlands Hollywood, I would have to say. When I became resident there in 2001, um, I had about a three or four year lifespan with that club, and they had really, really, they were the first major club to have multi level. They were doing like 3,000 people with that place and multiple promoters, multi- multiple DJs, and whatnot. So to be a part of something that was so iconic for that Hollywood Highland Center, um, that, that would probably be the one that stands out to me because it was, it was defining for that area. Yeah. Anybody else? Um, apparently, I got, I got roped into this because I was mouthing off. Um, but if you were ever to like hear someone say play some Skinnerd, and someone said, "Hey, you know, I shouldn't mix Freebird with something," what would you mix Freebird with? <laughs> Is this a tough question for you? <laughs> I feel like it comes in the moment, doesn't it? Wow. Um. <laughs> okay, for, okay, hold on. Let me wow, think. Get that guy a drink ticket now. Give me, give me a. <laughs> he deserves it. I'm going. I'm going in my Rolodex right now. I'm trying to I'm trying to like think about the music selection that question you just Question: While he's thinking, huh? two of the question <laughs> askers was your goal tonight to stump him. Yes. You guys did it All twice right. already. You guys did it. Uh, what, what, okay, wait a minute. What song are you talking about? Sing it. <laughs> sing it, Mark. Ah, there we go. Sing it. Sing it. Sing it. <laughs> Cause I'm free as a bird. Um, wow, that, that, is, that doesn't register at all. Sorry. This bird, it will not change. Um, it sounds like a drunken so happy like birthday to me. So, like, if someone said, like, play some Skinnerd and, like, you know, I think the question is, what would you mix Skinnerd with? Wow. Mm. I'm, you know what? You know what I'm doing right now by listening to that. I'm, I'm thinking BPM and uh, BPM in my mind right now. BPM oh, is fair. basically know, the, the speed I, of the record, I'm right? I'm you, thinking of the speed of the record, right? Per minute. Um, Beats per so minute. Wow, I that's a what a ama- what an amazing question, right? Because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of like people that get out to bars that aren't necessarily into the DJ stuff, but they're still yeah, there. yeah, so yeah. Like if someone said like play some Skinnerd, man, like you could totally get a whole <laughs> different. I can't, I can't believe I'm so stumped right now by this genre. question. That's amazing. Um, let me uh, let me get back to you on that one. <laughs> See us after the yeah, show. That's kind of so much for rocking a crowd, right? Uh, well, do you even take requests when you're DJing? You know, you know what's funny is is there there's a lot of DJs that harp on not taking requests. You see a lot of it. You see them saying, you know, there were there were a shirt or a hat that says no requests and all this stuff. And I feel like Dicks. totally. I feel like here, here's how I feel about that. I feel like if you're trying to if you're trying to gain fans and gain popularity and you have a big no request on your hat or your shirt, it's it's such a standoffish move. It's like 
you've already put the fu in front of them before you before they even talk to you. Once again, you're about the people. That's interesting. Absolutely, it really so, stands out with so you. Here, I would say. So here's the thing: I will take the request, and if it's something that I wasn't fully on with the request, then I would, you know, I would gradually, you know, politely say, you know, I can't play that, but I would give them a suggestion, something similar to what they requested. I'd say, well, why don't you know? I can't play that, but why don't I play this? Well, no, can you play that? It would go back and forth, but eventually, I would find some. We've just created some kind a relationship of now. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not, I, I, I'm not that guy. I, I would love to talk to people. I, I don't mind people coming up to me and asking me to play something for them. Talk to me. I, I don't mind. I, I actually love it. So yeah. Well, ready to go. Uh, yeah. Great, great job with the two questions that we had. Oh, we got one more. One more. We have one more question. What is your favorite song to play as a DJ? That's an easy question. It's whatever will make you dance. Nicely said. Great answer. What a great answer. All right, we got one more, then we're going to wrap up here. One more question, guys. When's the next Hush Party? (laughs) 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 It it might be coming. I don't know if that's suitable. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) coming around it's coming around all right guys well uh thank you so much to the ones that had the questions come see me for a drink ticket paul thank you so much for being on the show thank we you really for having me guys really appreciate it thank a big you thank you to adobe cantina thank you so much for having us um it's very last minute so very thank last you guys. minute yeah paul we're gonna be here right here for you uh as as a patron as a, as a friend uh you you have my support i know that the city has your support you will come back from this. Eden will be back. We Everything you. you talked about before, you'll have. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Paul, where can folks find you on social media before we go? Uh, Casa Eden, all of the all the socials. It's pretty much Casa Eden, Agora Hills. Myself, DJ Sweepy, official um, on all the socials. Um, my number's on there, everything. I respond to everybody's messages. I'm not one of those guys that does, you know just kind of plays it off but i respond to everybody's texts messages dms all that stuff so i I love interacting with people and letting them know what we're doing so sounds good love you too you can find us on youtube at making a geek podcast also everywhere you consume podcasts for the audio versions also on instagram at making a geek underscore podcast uh like we mentioned before our show another one we have is march 4th it's gonna be at the tipsy goat pub and that's in thousand oaks we'll be discussing and reviewing wandavision wandavision don't miss that uh get caught up because there's gonna be a lot of spoilers uh thanks to all who came out honestly we'll see you soon until next time keep calm and geek out good night everybody thank you guys